Hi everyone, welcome to my podcast where we talk all things that are most dear to the heart. I'm Bobby Houston, co-senior pastor of Hillsong Church and founder of the Color Sisterhood. I'm passionate about seeing all people find Jesus as Saviour and gain a revelation of their value in Him and then rise up to make a stand for justice in the earth. This is a place that you'll hear from me, the Color Sisterhood team and some of our beloved friends. To find out more and stay up to date, please visit bobbyhouston.com and connect with me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Father, I just thank you for your word thus far and that we've gathered here and Lord, you have an agenda and a purpose for us and I commit this session and tomorrow's session to you, Lord, and I pray that we'll just all relax right now and lean into this and we'll be girlfriends together because truly that's what I sense, Father, that you've gathered the girlfriends in the room And as we often say, Father, this is like a giant lounge room. And thank you that you allow us to be a part of it. In your name, amen? Amen, Amen. say amen. You just did. (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right, so we've just had two great preaching sessions. And so this, this is our sisterhood session. And again, tomorrow. And so historically, this is what we do in these middle sections. We, um, we take time to look at the whole idea of um, sisterhood. We take time to look at the whole idea of everyday women, the likes of you and I, being influencers in the world, being world changers in the world in order to make the world a... Uh, oh, amen. Amen. 23 years into this. Hallelujah. So, um, so I'm just gonna share with you and just throw some stuff out. I'm not trying to preach you down this morning or this afternoon. I just wanna like put tools in our hands and things in our hands that are gonna help us go forward, amen? Amen. So as I said, um, you know, the truth is we actually do have a lot of history up our sleeve in this note. Um, again, 23 years, this is my 107th year, I mean, seventh conference of doing this. <laughs> I'm like Methuselah. All right, praise the Lord. Um, yeah, there's like, um, again, there's a history. And if you're new to the page, and we always take a moment just to get everyone back on the page, um, back on the page if you've remotely forgotten or drifted like Christine was saying, or just for new girls to understand. And so it's not up here, but I wrote a book a couple of years ago. I gifted it to the entire colour conference around the world called The Sisterhood, which tracks a 20 year history of us together discovering these things. And so can I just remind you, it is still there, it is still good, it still has value. It's worth a reread every now and then to get us back on that page. And it is something perfect that you can actually sow into the lives of others. You know, Laura was saying that um, down in the pop-up, the secret garden pop-up thing, girls are coming in and they're just looking and they're like, they're like, we, we, what do you mean that there's thousands of women gathered down here in the ICC? Like, It's like it's the biggest kept secret. And so there are tools and there are things out there to actually help you sow that seed, amen? I think it's fair to say, just as foundation here, oh, praise the Lord, that's a big life. (laughs) I think it is fair to say that our conviction and our commitment to gather, equip, mobilise is as real today as it was all those years ago when we first started our conviction and then commitment, because it's one thing to have a conviction, but if you don't have the commitment to give wings or feet or what expression to your conviction, then it's just a mere conviction. And convictions without action, without follow through, is just words. 
And so I think for us, for us, definitely, it's as real today as it was then. Way back in the day, I don't know if anyone was here back then, but way back when we gave you all psychedelic rubber gloves with fur around you, around it rather, so that we could change the world. And the first message I ever cut in this context of sisterhood was kindness rules. And that was really the birthing of this collective sisterhood. I think it's fair to say that, again, this prevailing language of gather, equip, mobilise has borne incredible fruit around the world, both locally and globally. The ripple effect, and again, if you aren't familiar, you can go onto the Colour Sisterhood website and there's no end of stories and pathways and ways to bring solution, to take what is stirring in your own heart and, and give it some expression or wings, amen? And then I think it would also be fair to say that the mere fact that so many of you continue to turn up actually proves that your own convictions in this area are as strong as ever. And so I love that. So big picture, everyone say big picture. Amen. Justice, um, advocacy, the plight of the broken, the hurting, the captive, all of these things remain at the very core of who we are. And colour will always be a host of women who are united in friendship and madness, but friendship and cause. This is what we're about. Friendship and the power of that and the wonder of that and the cause of Christ. And it's a beautiful combination, hey? So as I said last night, um, in these sessions, or I I alluded that, in these sessions, we we really actually wanna um, focus around a certain topic from our table. We wanna focus around the idea of reconciliation. We wanna focus around the idea of personal evangelism, which doesn't sound terribly exciting, but you know, by the grace of God, it will be very exciting in your spirit when you leave. We wanna focus around the idea of personal testimony. The idea of all of us becoming actually stronger and better when it comes to this ripening harvest that's around us. So I'm calling this message the art of reconciliation. I think it might go up, hopefully, the art of reconciliation uh, with a tagline, search and discover and search and rescue. And God dropped this bottom line into my spirit probably a good year or so ago the language of search and discover, that we would come here and that we would have seeking hearts and we would search and yet again discover the wonder and the, and the majesty and the goodness of God. But that also we would be a company of women who would search and rescue for that which is lost. So that's my language. And again, I don't know about you, but me personally, you know what? I actually wanna get better at this. I wanna get better at the idea of all of that, personal evangelism, testimony, testimony, being able to share the goodness of God. I wanna get good so that I can do it, so I can communicate with accuracy, with um, confidence and with efficiency. I wanna be effective in that. Would you like that? Is anyone in the room kinda going, yep, I would like to get better at that too. I wanna get better at that. Everyone put your hands up if you wanna get better at this. Totally. Revelation um, 12 verse 11 says, of course, and they overcame, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And then in the message, it literally says, they overcame by the bold word of their witness. Isn't that lovely? The bold word of their witness. Now listen, girls, it is impossible to attack a subject like this in five minutes. And so I'm not even gonna attempt to do that in our sisterhood sessions. 
today and tomorrow. I'm not gonna attempt to do that. But what we wanna do, if we can, is stir thinking. We wanna salt thinking, salt it. Be salt of the world, amen. Hallelujah. We wanna um, maybe provide some take-home values. And who knows what miracles will be set in motion because of this, amen? I believe colour is all about setting miracles in motion. Miracles are being set in motion. So big, big picture, as I start, I believe that there is a symphony of souls. Everyone say symphony of souls. Isn't that pretty? There is a symphony of souls that need to be found and rescued. They need to be found and rescued. There is a symphony of voices. Say that with me, symphony of voices that need to be raised and heard, including a movement such as you are sitting in right now. And I believe that there is a symphony of prayer. Say it with me. A symphony of prayer that needs to rise and go before us as we prepare a way for our God. And Scripture, you know, John the Baptist echoed it. He said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he was echoing Isaiah, Isaiah 40, where it says, prepare in the wilderness a way of the Lord. Clear away the obstacles. Make straight and smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And you know, I actually believe that we are living in a high, highways and byways era. If you look at, there's a certain parable that talks about the kingdom of heaven and how a, a, the king threw um, a feast and a banquet for his son. And you know, he invited many and, and they refused. And he, he, he went out, he sent the invitation out again and they even tried to kill the messengers. And in the end, the king was so exasperated. He said, go into the highways and the byways and compel all who will to come in. And it paints a quite vivid and poignant picture of the kingdom of God. And I believe that we are living in a day and age where you know, if a person actually has a searching heart for God, there are pathways. They can inquire, this, our world is saturated with the gospel actually because of television, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, many can't even be bothered. They don't want to, they don't have a searching heart. But there are many who don't know, they're clueless, they're lost, they're sitting in the um, metaphoric highways and byways and alleyways of life and they need someone to go to them and compel them and they will come. And so I believe these are the days in which we're living, right? And again, I am confident as we hunger and thirst and as we upskill our convictions and our abilities, we will see multitudes swept into His love. Joel, in the book of Joel, chapter two, it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valleys of decision, in the valley of decision. And it's a fairly hectic chapter and I don't fully understand it. It's intense. But it also says and therefore, the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And I know that could talk about a pending accountability, but I tend to look at it with a soft heart and I'm like, wow, I really believe that the Lord is near people in their valleys of decision. He's actually near to them, drawing them, knocking on the door of their heart. Because I certainly remember the Lord being near to me in the lead up to my decision to come to Christ. And so these are our exciting days, amen? <laughs> so good luck to me right now. But I am going to attempt to stir our thinking on a number of things. I'm gonna get them to put it up on the screen. I'm gonna attempt 
to look at things like the art of reconciliation, the art of empathy, the art of community, the art of engagement, the art of conversation, the art of sharing one's own story, the art of creating thirst in others, the art of invitation. I'm gonna attempt to talk about the art of soul winning when you are not Carl Lentz. If any of you know who Carl Lentz is, the art of navigating resistance, of sowing, watering and reaping, the art of being content with your unique or only piece in the puzzle, the art of being memorable, the art of follow through and the art of prayer and waiting. And good luck, right? I'm gonna do all of that in five minutes. I might just point out that all of those stories actually are true. They're actually true. Miles, it's a true story, flung the... Bible through the car, Charlie, it's a true story. Holly, it's a true story. Miriam, it's a true story. I'm gonna give you five things. I'm gonna roll a few thoughts just really hard and fast into your world this afternoon. So number one, I want you to write down in your notes, reconciliation is no small thing. Reconciliation is no small thing. If there were three things that I would say about reconciliation, I would say it is the heart of God. It is the heart of God, it is the entrusted responsibility of every believer, and it is a learned art for all of us, obviously. <laughs> would you not agree? You know, the idea of Christ in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us enabling us, enabling enabling us in the beautiful art of helping to redeem others, to helping to helping to helping to redeem that which is lost to division. And we gave expression to it last night and we gave expression to it today, both with Erwin and with um, Christine. You know, the definition um, of reconciliation is the reuniting, the reunion of, the gathering back of something that was lost to division. And there is so much in this world that again has been lost to division, to sin and to independence. And you know, last night I read some words to you from Corinthians. I'm gonna read them again if I may. But the words of 2 Corinthians chapter five are no small thing in the life of a Christ follower. They are no small thing. So allow me to read it one more time to you. 2 Corinthians 5, this time in the Passion. It says, verse 16, So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Can I pause there? Team, just pause with me. That refuses. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evalu evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. Do you know in one sentence, in one sentence, God deals with racism, prejudice, class, bias, and shallow surface judgment. One sentence. I think that is remarkable. It goes on, it says, for that's how we once viewed the anointed one. Pretty much Jesus suffered all of those realities in his own life. But we no longer do this, we no, but, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Verse 17, now, if anyone is enfolded, last night in the, in the Amplified or whatever I read it out of, it talked about being engrafted, but in this translation, it develops another um, layer to that. It says, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything again, fresh and new has come. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 18, it says, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to Himself. 
and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In the Amplified verse 18 says that by word and deed, not just word alone, but deed, the follow three, follow three, we might aim to bring others into harmony with Him. Isn't that a lovely word? Everyone say harmony. In verse 19, it says, in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was again shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions and has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Verse 20, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the messages of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. You know, I find that whole reality and thought, I find it breathtaking, I find it divine, I find it literally irresistible. Everyone say irresistible. That the Father was personally present in Christ, reconciling us to Him. And that the Son is now personally present in us, reconciling others to Himself. Absolutely amazing, it's actually insane. You know, some of you in this room might be bored with life. Some of you might be angsting um, about the call of God on your life. Well, I just wanna remind you that if the Spirit of God is alive in you, and it can be, you can stir it up, you can ask for a new infilling, you can go before God on your knees. But I believe that if the Spirit of God is truly moving in us, then you know what? You have a mission field at your fingertips. Every one of us do. No room for boredom. No room for like anxiety about what is the call of God on my life. Every one of us have a mission field at our fingertips. And again, if that Spirit is within, you will naturally want to shepherd people. You will naturally want it because it is the Spirit of God alive in you wanting to do that. And you know what, if you plant, I'm so bold as to say this, if you plant yourself, because wherever we are planted in life is actually critically important. Psalm 92 says, those who are planted in the house of God, the house of God, a local church, will actually flourish and prosper and all of these things into into long life. But if you plant yourself in a soul-winning church, a church that is important in that context, there'll again be no room for boredom or confusion, right? So to make it personal, is that you saying yep up there, Christine? You did so good. I never saw you in the lunch break. Did you get my text? Good girl, I just wanted to tell you I, I, I love you. <coughs> okay, so can I just make it personal? All right, um, do you have a memory of the spirit of reconciliation alive in someone else who was um, helping you come to truth. Do you have a memory of that? Spirit of reconciliation in someone else who played a part in drawing you and reconciling you to truth. Do you have a memory of that? Or do you have a memory of the spirit of reconciliation in you as you sought to help another and draw them to truth? If you have a memory of that, I want you right now to write it down in your notes. Just jot it down if it comes to you. And if it doesn't, put a question mark and say, I need to have a memory. Okay, think about it. So in my life, for me, if I was to to personalise this, of course, the first first memory I'm ever gonna have of the Spirit of God being alive in someone else who was helping to draw me to truth, 
My first memory always goes to a girlfriend called Lily. My little friend Lily's skeleton at school, we were like 15 years of age and I've got a picture of Lily up here. And uh, this is the girl who invited me to church in 1972. The weekend of 7th of May, 1972. That's me as a young girl. Hallelujah, the whole Jesus revolution was happening, etc., etc. And this is Lily, beautiful Elizabeth Skeletta, Lily for short. And all I remember and all I will ever honour of her and love of her is that that spirit of reconciliation was drawing me, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of kindness, a spirit of wisdom. When I, you know, piped up and said, oh, you know, I believe in God, but I don't think you need to go to church, as if I knew. And she just gently said, oh, well, no, but do you wanna come anyway? And I said, yes, of course I did. (laughs) And I will always love her. And Lily passed away in her early 40s. She went to be with Jesus. She's probably watching us right now. She could be sitting in a rafter with an angel, special assignment. So love you, Lily. And um, I will always honour her as the girl who introduced me to the house of God. And 20 something years ago, I wrote a book called Heaven Is In This House. And the morning I sent it to print, to publishing print, um, I heard that Lily had passed. And so I pulled it back and I dedicated that book to her, to the girl who had introduced me to the house of God, wherein I found Christ Jesus, my Saviour. These are special memories. Well, you know, if I was to personalise it for me, I think, a very vivid memory um, of, I believe, the Spirit of God within me helping draw to reconciliation or helping to draw another person. The first memory that comes to me is of a conversation I had on a plane with a gay guy. And I don't choose that because he was a gay guy. I choose to tell this story because it was so vivid, the sense that the Holy Spirit was alongside of me in the conversation. And I sat on the plane with this young man He was lovely and we were chatting and there was warmth and no big deal. And then he asked me what I did. (laughs) It's a lot of years, a number of years ago. And I hesitated and I I told him. And you know what, I immediately felt his body language um, stiffen. He immediately stiffened as if to, um, as if to, he just stiffened. And then he said, this is what he said, he said, well, I'm gay as if inviting a response of judgment from me. And I remember thinking, oh, Father, <laughs> Father, in my head, Father, you, uh, Holy Spirit, you need to help me here. Because he wants me to judge him. He wants me to shame him. That's what he was expecting. And I felt the Spirit of God say, turn around and look at him. So I turn around, I eyeballed him, probably touched him, I probably grabbed him because I am a mother and I am tactile. And, um, and I felt the Spirit of God say, just tell him what Jesus has done for you. That's it. And you know what? His body language relaxed. His eyes filled with tears. Spirit of reconciliation. So I want you to think about those moments in your life and stir up the measure within you. Second thing I wanna say is empathy and care is no small thing. Empathy and care is no small thing. I mean, question, will we ever graduate from empathy? Answer is no, a categoric no. Empathy, as many of you would know if you've done the sisterhood journey with us, empathy in a nutshell is to identify and lean into the difficulties or the plight of another. 
Sisterhood, the true essence of sisterhood, the true essence of colour is birthed in this, not idea, but this beautiful truth, this beautiful reality of empathy. If there were three things that I would say about empathy, it would be this. All right. Reconciliation of any kind is impossible if we don't care. We're talking reconciliation. It is impossible to even entertain the idea of that if we don't care. So we have to stir up our heart to care. Second thing is that empathy obviously is a choice, which is why there's T-shirts out there and there's hoodies and we continue in this language on some of our colour memories of choose empathy because it is a choice. And, And thirdly, empathy is somewhat of a war zone. It's actually a war zone. You know, I, one, when I was preparing this, one Google search of antonyms for en- empathy gave me 115 antonyms. 115 antonyms, anti, toward, towards the beautiful word empathy. And you know, the top three were apathy, coldness, and detachment. Apathy, coldness, detachment. I can just detach from this, from this world in which we live. Interestingly, the antonyms on the extreme end of that list were hatred, cruelty, and atrocity. Now, isn't that interesting? And the idea is, say, a little um, detachment on our part may not ever track us to atrocity, but in some cases it does. And you think, where does atrocity, where does cruelty, where does some of these terrible realities that are important to us as a sister, where do they originate from? From hearts that are unguarded, from hearts that don't care, from the enemy getting involved in the equation. So they're actually very, very powerful. I believe that all of life's choices are pathways, as is empathy or lack thereof. So empathy, empathy is a pathway to life. And lack of empathy is a pathway to possibly 115 possible antitheses. So it's no small thing, right? And as we kind of said last night, I believe that a sign of the times, well, I believe that a sign of the times is coldness of heart. Within that of unbelievers and believers alike. In Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus for a sign regarding the end of the age. Many of you will know this, Matthew 24. And then he responds, Jesus, and it's just like heartwarming stuff, guys. <laughs> goes, then, then, says Jesus, uh, they will deliver you up to tribulation and you'll be put to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, I mean, wonderful stuff, isn't it? Something to look forward to, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 10, and then many, <clears throat> excuse me, and then many will fall away. Keeping in mind, he's actually talking to his followers here. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Pretty much what Christine was talking about this morning. Because uh, because lawlessness will be um, increased, the love of many, even in faith, will grow cold because they won't have the capacity to deal with it or to stand strong or to not ring the bell, like she said. 
Verse 13, good news, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. I just wanna ask a question <coughs> of us. Sorry. <coughs> Forgive me if I get a little bit forthright, but this is not a game, right? The kingdom of God at this time, thy kingdom come right now, it's not a game. People's lives are hanging in the balance. And yeah, we can have ridiculous and gorgeous skate items and we can, like we do the girlfriend thing and then we do the cause thing, right? So forgive me if I sometimes get a little bit forthright, but I wanna ask the question, you know, when it comes to passion, devotion, when it comes to your love, you know, where are you gonna be in five years' time? <clears throat> where are you gonna be in five years' time? Or 10 years' time, or even 20 years' time, if the Lord tarries and doesn't return? And so I'm challenging us to not grow cold with Jesus, nor with our love and concern for others, amen? Indeed, empathy is a choice and empathy is a war zone, which is why Sisterhood Fight Club, again, and some of the midday hash things and the whole nine yards, it's not just fancy slogans. It's actually real stuff in Jesus' name, amen? It's not, it's like it's a fight and the fight is real and the devil hates empathy. So you know what, we have to belt up and we have to armour up in Jesus' Name. Because if we don't, the sisterhood will dry up and become a testimony to a past movement. And that has happened in the landscape of the church and the body of Christ over the centuries. 23 years in, by the grace of God, we are not drying up. And I might be 62 years of age, and I am very mindful of the future and what colour looks forward, looks like going forward. I am very mindful. My team are with me in this. And we are, I am, I'm conscious of it. But you know what? The message is, is not drying up in Jesus' Name, amen? Do you know, <clears throat> um, a couple of years ago, because of course we do all sorts of stuff that are, is fun and groovy, like for example, I don't know if you've seen them out there, they're really cute. We've made these clutch back, little clutch purses that says Sisterhood Fight Club. Okay, it's not just pretty. I mean, it's super pretty, I love it. It's super cool. You could pay a lot of money for this in some department stores in America because it's cool. But you know, imagine that at your dinner table. <laughs> and the waitress is like, what the heck is that, you know? But a, couple of, a number of years ago, we, um, we made these belts, all right, because belts were fashionable back then. And... Um, well, I think they still are. It's just I don't wear belts because I can't find my waist anymore. <laughs> I know. The glories of getting older. Praise the Lord. But um, we made this and it's got studs on it. It actually says the sisterhood, right? Fan fantastic. Fun and games. I searched hard in my wardrobe to find that. And um, I heard a story in this context alone. Someone in England, I think it was, and this really, really, one of the girls was wearing it and one of this really, really, really old, old, old lady... <laughs> Like 63? No, no, like 93? <laughs> 93. And she wasn't like part of it. She goes, she sees the belt walk past and she goes, oh, 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 don't tell me the sisterhood is back. <laughs> yeah, so here was a woman in her late, in her 90s or whatever. And she'd, she'd been there. Maybe God had been trying to raise that up and maybe he had and maybe the world hijacked part of it. 
But you know, you hear what I'm saying? So we don't wanna be a movement, a testimony to the past. Is that true? I wrote down here, um, oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, praise the Lord. How is that possible? we're good, they've got that wrong. Yeah, don't worry. (laughs) We're just girls having a go. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen to me, a little bit serious. An An empathetic heart, listen, an empathetic heart will do you in at times. It will do you in. I wasn't gonna tell this, but last Sunday night I had a dream. I woke up suddenly at about 3, 4 a.m. I had a dream. And in this dream, I was um, in a building and I was kind of at the back of the building. It was very clear and I went to the bathroom. The bathrooms were at the back of the building and I was in the bathroom by myself and I heard some strange noises. So I walked over and I kind of climbed up on the window and I, in my dream and I looked down and underneath the window outside was a scene that was extremely distressing. In this scene, there was a father and a son, a little boy. The father was of Indian origin in this case. Well, I don't know what case it is, but he was Indian. And he was looking very traumatized and very troubled. And there was a little boy. But there were two other men present and they were distorted and they were grotesque almost demonised, and they were making this little boy do lured acts on them. And the father was there, traumatised, but probably having no pathway out, I don't know. And all I remember in this dream is I'm in this window looking down, and I just see this little boy, his face is dirty, he's being forced to do a lured act, and he just looks up at me in the window with these pleading eyes, as if to say, help me. And then I woke up and I'm like, where does a dream like that come from? I mean, really, uh, where does it come? And I just, I couldn't shake it and it disturbed me and I only knew what to do is like I began to pray for any child who is in that situation right now. Even now I see his little face and I still pray for him. Do you know, two years ago at the July conference, Hillsong July conference, the morning that we would do compassion, that we would seek to um, see more children sponsored through compassion, I woke up with a very, very vivid dream. And I didn't share it that morning because someone else was assigned to, the, uh, you know, to sharing about compassion. I held it for a year. I may have sh- shared this last year, I'm not sure, but listen to me. And in this dream, I saw this woman and she was very impoverished and she was bent over and broken with life and she was pushing this rusty old stroller along that had children in it. She had all her children in this rusty old stroller. And as she pushed, she started to push through a a muddy puddle. And, uh, And then suddenly I see this rag doll fall to the ground from her stroller, face down in that dirt. And um, as I watched, she like saw the doll fall and then she kind of stopped and she looked and she hesitated. And then with a sigh of exasperation, she continued, she kept moving. And then the more I looked in my dream at the rag doll, it wasn't a rag doll. It was one of her children. And one of her children had fallen to the ground 
face down in the dirt. And she didn't have the capacity, the wherewithal, she didn't have the means, she didn't have the strength, she was impoverished. And she didn't have the strength to pick up her own child. No judgment on her, judgment on the impoverished state that she was in, but not her. And so she pressed on. And I woke up and the Spirit of God says, do not let those children lie on the ground. When it comes to compassion, pick them up. They're not lying in dirt right now, they're lying on tables out in our foyers. And tonight we will give due diligence to the children. But I felt the Spirit of God say, you in your blessed world, do not leave them lying. Do you know, Acts chapter two talks about in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit upon men and women, His handmaidens and His servants, and they'll dream dreams and they'll have visions. And sometimes, you know, we can perceive that as aspirational. Oh, God's given me a dream and I'm gonna change the world and I'm gonna preach on platforms like Bobby and Christine and I'm gonna do all this. Perhaps so. But sometimes I wonder when I prepared this, I wonder if some of those visions and dreams will be like just what I shared. God giving us vision and dream of things that disturb his heart so that somebody would rise up and pray, make a difference, push back darkness, allow light to penetrate, allow rescue to come in Jesus' Name. Amen? Third thing, third thing here. And you know, on that note, I'm not being cute here, but I went to sleep at one o'clock with this idea and then I woke up in the shower this morning. I was like, I I didn't wake up in the shower. I I was in the shower. And then I thought, I really must do this, but I've left it too late. And then I felt, maybe God said, no, do it. And so I don't know if you've seen these bags out there, all right? Basically, they're um, shopping bags. You know how we're not allowed to actually get plastic bags anymore? And we have to buy our bags and take them. So we created a series of these so that you can actually take them to the supermarket. And there's really cool things on them. They're out there, have a look. There's three of them. And hopefully it will make... I don't know, start a conversation, who knows? So a seed, who knows? But um, right now, I've got this bag filled with groceries that would be conducive to a homeless person on the street this afternoon. And I don't know if there's anyone, I want someone who's gonna follow through here. I don't know if there's anyone here right now, maybe, maybe on this part of the floor, because it's easier. You have a bit of a gift, you have a bit of a, you have a heart for the homeless. And I'm gonna give it to you, and between today and tomorrow, maybe you can find someone that you can give this to. Is there anyone that feels confident to do that? I saw your hand go up, ma'am. So um, I'm just gonna leave this here. Um, Yeah, oh gosh, it's heavy. Praise the Lord. Please don't eat the bread, no. (laughs) And um, if you, it ends up being tomorrow or the next day, listen, sweetheart, oi. If, if it, no, no, stay, stay, thank you so much. But if it ends up being like not tomorrow, but the next day, you might need to freshen the bread, okay? And there's things in there conducive to a homeless person, which I don't even really know what that means, but it's like, don't give them a steak to cook. They might not have a kitchen. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's stuff that they can actually use. All right, um, number three, I've got to go quick. Number three, community engagement and conversation sharing your own faith, all of these things is no small thing, right? All of these things, community, engagement, conversation, hallelujah, sharing your own story is no small thing. Quickly, three things that I would say about the godly, the art of godly um, communication. 
Community rather. Three things that I would say about godly community. Sorry guys. I've preached three messages in 24 hours, new messages. All right. Of, (laughs) what am I talking about? Community. Right. The out of community. It's an oasis of sanity in a world going bonkers. It is an oasis of sanity. The world is going bonkers out there. I mean, it really is going bonkers. And people need to come into our our families, our lives, our relationships, our churches, and it's gonna be like an oasis of sanity, as if this makes sense. It's also gonna be an oasis, and it is an oasis of peace when all hell breaks out. Because should all hell break out, people are gonna be running and looking for people who know what peace is. Um, Erwin spoke about that this morning. And also it's going to, community, it's going to accelerate the rescue of people seeking truth. Is that not true? It really is. May we never forget how lonely the world is, how in need of encouragement the world is, and how desperate people can be when they um, encounter crisis. They become desperate. Three things that I would say about the art of godly engagement and connection would be these ones, hallelujah. Okay, for many, it doesn't come naturally. And it doesn't. Obviously, we saw the gentleman throwing the Bible through the window. It doesn't come naturally, but more power to you, cute person, hallelujah. It does take boldness and bold faith. And listen to this one. When you get in the rhythm of it, as in caring and engagement, it is actually intoxicating and addictive in the purest sense. You know, when you have an encounter and when you share your faith and you share a moment and you share a kindness, you feel really good about it. And you're like, I love that. And the endorphins flow and you're like, I need to do more of this in Jesus' Name, right? Okay, three things that I would say about the art of conversation and sharing one's faith. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I believe it is something the Holy Spirit wants for us more than we can possibly realise. Oh, He is yearning for us to get good at this and to get better and stronger. I believe it is something that He actually wants to desperately help us in. Hence, I think why this platform and these three days actually have been given to this reality because the Spirit of God wants to help us, amen? And then it is something I think that we are gonna regret deeply if we get to heaven and feel like we never matured or mastered it. And we don't wanna live with regret, do we? Never. So, to prove how imperfect we are at our church, in our world, um, we got some of our lead pastors around the world to share their genius and their bloopers. And then we have another little random person in the mix to speak to us, so watch the screen. How come I didn't get makeup? So I got that bra. Look, I got that spot on my head. I remember one time I was out in the surf actually with Sam DeMauro, who is location pastor at Hills Campus in Sydney. And Sam paddles out just before me and there's these guys there. And as I arrive, I just hear Sam just saying at the top of his lungs, and guys, that's when I met 
Jesus. And then I saw them turn on their boards and paddle away. And I don't know whether the evangelism worked at that moment, but it certainly meant that we had a surf break to ourselves. So thank you very much, Sam DeMora. And I hope those guys did eventually find Jesus. At our latest Sisterhood United night, I was doing the altar call. All these girls put up their hands to want to make Jesus the Lord of their life. amazing let's congratulate these guys I'm like let's do a praise party and literally forgot to do the sinner's prayer walked off and I'm like like what do I do like are they even saved like I feel like I'm gonna get to heaven one day and Jesus is gonna be like you had one job I remember trying to talk to her and inviting her along to church and all that and all she did she looked at me, she said, you're not gonna try and turn me, are you? I've given people wrong directions to our church. I've probably messed up the order of salvation at times. Turn or burn, why would I ever say that? We were at a wedding and uh, we were set at a table with lots of people that we didn't know. And so we were all talking about what we do. And so they asked us like, what do you do? And we're like, ah, oh, we build church. And they were like, oh, wow. So you're like, you're like architects or like carpenters? Or... You don't look like bricklayers. Yeah. <laughs> Did you lead any of them to Jesus? Because um, the question was about evangelism. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> you don't have any makeup on you, do you? I need red lips. Cake batter lip balm. You know I'm allergic to cake batter. <laughs> Is that what you're wearing? Really? Are you really going to wear that? <laughs> I think for some of us, evangelism is the real swear word. Kidding, that's ridiculous, starting from the top. I was raised by two uh, hippie, charismatic Christians. My parents were both uh, hippies in their uh, 17, 18 years old when they met Jesus. Um, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. My parents witnessed to every single person that was breathing. Like my mom carried like a pound of tracks with her. They're like little, like scripted cartoon tracks, you know, telling people like, you're going to hell, you better repent. Um, and nice things like that. <laughs> like our house was always the weirdo Christian house where my parents would hand out candy at Halloween, but like my mom would like put tracks in the candy bags that she gave kids. And I was like, I don't want to be alive anymore. Um, but you know, what I love about my parents as I, as, I, as I look back was that they had this God encounter and it changed the way that they saw life. It's kind of like people who um, are vegans. You know, like, how do you know someone's a vegan? Uh, like, they tell you, you know, like, because vegans are evangelists. They love not eating meat. They're really loud about it. And that's okay, you know? Is it okay? I don't know. That's ridiculous. Um, but let's be honest here. There is a stigma around evangelism. And I think that it's... The worst part of it is the awkward exchange between Christians and people who aren't Christian. It's kind of like this. It's like we become Christians, and then for 30 years we live sometimes in a Christian bubble because we're not doing the things that we used to do. Our social groups change. Um, our jobs sometimes change. Our lives totally change. We're spending our time in church and in small groups and home groups and connect groups, um, you know, and discipleship and volunteering and sisterhood, etc. And it's almost like we forget to be human. We forget how it is to be human and how to even have a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian. Like Jesus said to be in the world, but not of the world. Some Christians aren't even in the world and of the world. Like you need to be in it. Really, the biblical idea of a Christian living in the world is more like ambassadorship. So Christians are actually called to be ambassadors. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who, so for example, I'm a Canadian. 
and Canada has embassies all over the world, and we send Canadians to the embassies to show people what Canadians are like, to dispel um, myths about Canadians. You know, we don't just drink uh, maple syrup and eat hockey pucks. Come on. We ate poutine. Get with it. Uh, we spread the good news of poutine and, and hockey. And um, we, we teach people, you know, what our true interests are as Canadians. And we kind of share our ideas and our thoughts. And uh, we, we break stereotypes. That's the idea of an ambassador. The, indi- the idea of an ambassador is to break the stereotypes. So let me just take a load off of you right now. Some of you might be going, oh, gosh, evangelism. I'm terrible at evangelism. Well, Ask this question first, are you a good ambassador? I reckon that the answer is probably yes, especially if you're at color. I mean, the type, this is what I love about our church, sisterhood and color. Um, I just think that the, the women of our church do such a killer job at being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. If your life was being an ambassador and that's what God's called you to be, I mean, that's the first step and that's the first box ticked and you're crushing it. Can we get better at sharing the gospel, yes. There's many ways that we can do that. But let's take the pressure off ourselves right away and just ask that first question. Am I an ambassador the way Jesus was an ambassador for the Father? Jesus is an ambassador on behalf of the Godhead. He came to represent what God is really like. Jesus is a sent one. He is an ambassador. And then that same way, you are an ambassador wherever you are, dispelling and breaking the stereotypes that people think about the church and about Christians. Well done. Continue that good job. Amen. Was that fun? Does anyone empathize? Absolutely. Amen. Nathan Finocchio, who is our resident hippie theologian, actually, believe it or not. Amen. Beautiful. So, you know, just on that note, um, just the art of, you know, by nature, um, I was always shy. I was always lacking in confidence growing up as a child, as a young woman. I was all of these things. I, I felt intimidated. And then one day I started to grow up. And I actually realised, actually, Bobby, hello, actually, you know, um, sharing your faith, preaching, teaching is nothing more complicated than simply standing up here and sharing your story, your testimony, your perspective on God, your little bit of revelation of how it all works thus far. And I think if we all can honestly just simplify everything down to that simple reality, then we can all do it, right? And God will do the best. You know, so again, um, how do you share if you're not Carl Lenz? Now, if you don't know, Carl Lenz is our lead pastor in um, New York and in that part of the, our, our church over there. And I mean, he, like the man is gifted. I mean, I argue with him. I say, Carl, you have a gift of evangelism on you. You have the gift of the gab. Not everybody can do what you do. And he argues with me and he seeks to differ and, or, you know, to be, say, no, that's not true. But I do think that is true. He does have something on his life. But nevertheless, he will always say, but we can all grow in this. And the reason he often has a great answer to a question, whether it's from media, journalists, or whether it's a person on the street, the reason he often has a great answer is because he has actually thought about the answer already. He has anticipated that he might meet a person who is broken or homeless, a drug addict, a person who has been spoiled by religion or whatever, and he's actually processed how he is gonna respond to that. And I actually think there's a lesson in that for all of us, hey? If we prepare, then God will make a way. 
God will actually open doors for us and we will actually think, oh gosh, how do I give account? How do I tell my story? How do I give expression to that? And I think that's a good exercise for all of us, hey? And so yeah, how do you share when you're not Carl Lance? Well, the truth is I really don't actually know, but like I just said, we all have a story of salvation, <coughs> correct? We can all hopefully refer to the Word of God somewhere in our experience. Praise the Lord. Um, we can all be friendly. Um, we can all make another person feel valued and not judged. And we can all actually point to Jesus. We can actually point to Him or point to, um, to Christ at work in others. In other words, you might, have not, you might not have a story that might be um, a testimony to someone in a situation, but you know when you're part of sisterhood or the church of Jesus Christ, a local church, you can say, but you know what? No, truly, I, you might feel that I can't actually identify with you. I have empathy towards you, but you know what? I actually have a friend or there's a family in our church or there's someone I know, they actually have a story of what God has done in their life and you can share that. So you know what takes conscious um, processing and decision, hey? Colossians 4, praise the Lord, I'm nearly there. Colossians 4 says, use your heads, ha. Huh? Use your heads as you live and work amongst outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation. Not put them down, not cut them off or cut them out. I have a memory of Dr. Robbie Zondarega. Many of you would know and love him here in Nolene. He came and he spoke at um, our staff retreat of ours a few years back. And he did this session on um, communication and how to actually engage. He's a clinical psychologist, plus plus. How to engage with people, how to have a conversation with people. And he basically said, listen, make it about them. You meet a stranger, you're at a party, you're at a social function, you're maybe out of your, oh, I bit my tongue again. You're out of your depth again. And so he said, just make it about them. Make the conversation about them. Be inquiring of them. Hallelujah, ask questions about their life, them. Be genuinely interested in them. And you know what? That's not hard for any of us. And I'm talking to those of you who struggle in these areas, which many of us do. Amen? Amen, we can do that in Jesus and we can grow that art. Number four, um, I believe that creating thirst in others also is no small thing, creating thirst. If there were three things I would say about thirst, it would be this, thirst is common to all. It is actually common to all. All of humanity is thirsting for something and I wanna say let's not presume that the water of life that we have would not be appealing to them. Because we all do it. We're like, oh, I don't know. But it's the water of life and they're thirsting for something. So don't assume that they don't wanna hear or that they wouldn't wanna hear. The second thing, that thirst has to be quenched. And if it's not quenched, it will be quenched at any cost in their life. So again, we possess the water of life. And then thirst drives people to behaviour that can be so detrimental and dangerous. And again, like I just said, we possess the water of life. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. We're talking about that water of life and we don't need to be remotely ashamed of it, right? And I think just sometimes, sometimes, you know, the problem isn't in the water, the problem is in the container. 
in the glass that we serve it up in. So maybe, maybe a simple prayer each morning would go like this. Lord, Lord, you know those who thirst around me. The woman at the school gate, the colleague in the office, the computer, commuter on the train. Water me today, Lord, so that I can water others. Let your word today be life in me, that it might be life in others, amen? Last one, invitation. Invitation and winning souls is also no small thing, no small thing. Three things I would say about invitation. It's not your invitation, it's His. It's His invitation, and He is well able to make it resonate. Second, it's to a table that you haven't prepared, but He has. Therefore, do, again, do not assume or lack confidence that what God is drawing people to is not gonna be of importance to them or life to them. He's drawing them to a table that He has actually prepared. And again, it is something, it is an invitation, it's something that we merely pass on. The Holy Spirit is well able to do the rest. We pass the invitation on. Talking metaphorically, you know this. We pass it on, just pass it on as it is. You know, and sometimes we don't need to scribble all over, we do need to add all our little bits and pieces. Just pass it on in simplicity and the Spirit of God will do what we cannot in Jesus' name. Three things that I would say about soul winning um, or winning souls. All right, it is a, oh gosh, my notes are incredible. It is a decision, it is a decision that says yes to his salvation and Lord, okay. A decision that says yes to his salvation and Lordship, whoa, is always the hope, right? But winning souls runs deeper than a mere altar call moment in church. It runs deeper than that in Jesus' name. Second thing, oh God, help me, Lord help me. Soul winning is about earning and winning a person's affection, friendship and trust. Actually, that's what it is. The right to speak into someone's life. The right to chat, like the beautiful story of Miriam and the brothel, true story in Queenstown, Queensland. She took time. That redemption story never happened overnight, but she took time and she earned a place of affection and trust and um, friendship within that young girl's life. And then soul winning actually affects the soul of another. When we're in the process of soul winning, we're not just getting them across the line perhaps, we're actually helping them to have different mindsets. We're helping them to um, get their emotional train wreck into balance. We are helping to win their soul realm to life in Jesus' Name, amen? Amen, do you like that? What else have I got here? I think I've got one more. Hallelujah. Amen, no I haven't, glory to God. (laughs) So, as I bring this to conclusion, then we've got something beautiful for you. I just wrote down a list of things here. So let's respect the soul realm of others. Let's respect and pray for their struggles, their beliefs, their complexities. Let's pray for that. Let's be inspired and energised to play our part in the scheme of things, whether sowing or watering or joining some of the dots out there. This is a day and an age where God is joining the dots or whether you have the joy of reaping, the, the joy of, of reaping and seeing someone actually cross over and come to Christ. You know, last night, 214 
girls made decisions for Christ. Which is so beautiful. You put your hand up, your heart up, you went out, you made yourself known, you received one of those Bibles. 214, and keep in mind, this is a paid three-day conference. And that's lovely, and that shows the hunger in people. And you know, if you made that decision, you made the greatest decision you will ever make, and I, I encourage you as a friend, hey, just go forward in it. Don't draw back, don't let anything steal it from you. Go forward in it, amen? And let's believe, and, and you know, if you made that decision but didn't have the courage to go outside and say, can I have one of those Bibles? Help me go forward. Have the courage of your conviction, amen? Beautiful. Beautiful. So let's be inspired and energised. Let's be memorable. Listen to me. In order. Let's be memorable in the right way, in order that the next person in the plan, because God is always joining the dots, has something to build upon. So if you're gonna be the angry Christian or the weird Christian, not helpful, okay? <laughs> not you. <laughs> those other people. <laughs> um, let's be faithful, listen, and follow through. Let's be faithful and follow through so that the next player or runner in their story can continue and complete what has been done. So if you have a contact with someone and you promise something or you say, I'm gonna get you this or I'm gonna get you that or I'm gonna give you a phone call, follow through. Because God's got a plan mapping out. And your attentiveness, your obedience in this sets up the next runner with the message. So I think these things are important. And then finally, let's cultivate the art of prayer and patience, prayer and waiting, because harvest takes time, it takes tendering, it takes perseverance, and it takes sensitivity. Is that okay? Amen. Put your notes down. Amen. Just a few things to take home. Salt your thinking, stir your thinking in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you have found it encouraging and uplifting and helpful. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes to make sure you get all of the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And if you have time, I'd love to hear from you. Write to me in the review or comments section. I look forward to being with you again next time.